Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome to episode 15 of the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm Chris Reeve, and today we are talking about replacement behaviors for challenging behavior. If you tuned in to episode 13, we talked about developing behavior support plans that address the behavior. Throughout this whole series of the five steps of behavioral problem solving, we've been talking about the function of the challenging behavior and how we develop that. And in this episode, I'll be talking specifically about adding in the appropriate replacement behaviors. I'm going to talk about what replacement behaviors are because interestingly, they aren't just the opposite of the challenging behavior that you assessed. Step four of the five steps of behavioral problem solving focuses on the behavior plan itself. And in the second set of strategies, we're looking at skills that we need to teach. Now that section is specifically divided into two parts. One is the replacement behaviors and one are other skills that we need to teach. And that's an important distinction because replacement behaviors are very specific behaviors that we choose because they are appropriate and because they serve the same function as the challenging behavior. Other skills we need to teach might include behaviors that are incompatible with the challenging behavior, like staying in your seat instead of wandering. You can't do one without the, and do the other at the same time. They might include increasing positive behaviors in general to reduce challenging behaviors. And I'll talk about the other behaviors in our next podcast episode, but in today's episode, I'm going to talk specifically about the replacement behaviors that we need to teach as the part of every behavior plan. I'll outline specifically what replacement means, and then I'll give you some examples based on the results from FBAs and our hypothesis statements. Now, in this episode, I'm talking about what the replacement behaviors are and how they relate to your FBA. If you're looking for ideas on how to teach the replacement behaviors or more information about functional communication training, I really encourage you to check out the Special Educator Academy. We have a workshop with demonstrations that will walk you through the steps of teaching students appropriate communication strategies that will replace challenging behaviors like the one I described in this episode. In addition, we have a whole course on behavioral problem solving that has much more in-depth information about how to actually implement it in your classroom. And I'm there in the community to answer questions and problem solve as well. That's actually the best place to find me. So you can check it out by going to specialeducatoracademy.com and you can even sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if it's for you. So let's start with what replacement behaviors are. A replacement behavior is an appropriate skill that is maintained by the same consequences as the challenging behavior. The point is that by serving the same function as the challenging behavior, the appropriate skill can be used to get the same need met, but in a more appropriate way. 
An example would be teaching a student whose behavior is determined by your FBA to gain attention or reaction from his peers. And we might teach him to tell jokes to get that same big reaction from his peers. Obviously, the jokes would be hysterical. So in order to get that reaction. So why are replacement skills important? Well, research indicates that replacement behaviors are the way to create sustainable changes in behavior that generalize across settings. Remember in episode eight, where I talked about the functions of behavior? Well, those functions are an indication of something the individual wants or needs. Replacement behaviors are important because they help the individual meet that need but in a more appropriate way. Can we decrease the behavior without a replacement behavior? Sure, many times we can. But it's likely that the behavior is going to return unless we've met that need of that underlying function. So for example, if a student engages in picking at his skin on his hand when he's faced with difficult situations, the function of the behavior your FBA may have determined it to be what we would call negative automatic reinforcement and what in real life terms we would call it relieves his anxiety. It makes the anxiety go away. Now we can block the behavior. We could punish him every time, punish the behavior by removing tokens from his token board every time he picks at his hand, or we could use some other kind of consequence-based approach. But while that behavior may decrease, it's possible that we're going to see another behavior pop up that provides that automatic reinforcement of relieving the anxiety if we don't address the need for that reinforcement, if we don't address the need to make the anxiety decrease. So we need to think about a strategy that will do that, like a relaxation strategy or leaving the situation or taking a break, some way to access that reduction of anxiety reinforcement in order to really make a difference for this student. Now, when we think about the characteristic that's most important in choosing our replacement behaviors, in real estate, we have the mantra location, location, location. Well, in behavioral support, we also have a mantra and it's function, 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 which always makes me think of the Brady Bunch and Marsha, 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 but that's a different story. The most important element when choosing a replacement skill is that it serves the same function that the challenging behavior serves based on the results of your FBA. So that's one of the reasons that the more details that you have in your hypothesis statements, the easier it's going to be to choose effective replacement strategies. We have research that indicates that teaching a communication skill that is not related to the function of the challenging behavior does not reduce the behavior. For instance, in 1985, Karin Durand found that when they taught students to ask or call someone's name in order to gain their attention, when their FBA showed that hitting the adult served to escape from the situation, that the hitting didn't decrease because it didn't serve the same function. They were teaching students to ask something to gain attention, to get that attention, not to escape. But when they taught the student to say, I need a break, the behaviors decreased. So whether our replacement behaviors results 
in a reduction of challenging behavior is truly our verify phase of the functional assessment process that I talked about in episode eight. It's how we test it out and make sure our functions were right. Because if we're teaching a replacement skill that's not related to the function, we don't see a change in behavior. So what else do we need to think about? Well, research indicates that the other element that's really important in choosing replacement behaviors is efficiency. The replacement behavior needs to be more efficient than the challenging behavior at getting the reinforcer. And there are generally three things that make up efficiency. The replacement behavior has got to get the reinforcer, whether that's attention, a tangible escape, or the automatic reinforcement. It has to get it faster, easier, and more reliably. Now, we can accomplish efficiency of the replacement behavior through the choices we make about the form of behavior that we decide to teach, as well as by differentiating our response to them. So the delay for the challenging behavior while reinforcing each instance of the replacement behavior immediately and every time. We can change the efficiency by changing the characteristics of the behavior itself or by changing our responses to the challenging behavior and our responses to the replacement behavior. So if I respond faster to the replacement behavior, than I do to the challenging behavior, then we're going to see a decrease in the challenging behavior. So faster, it has to get the help, escape, attention, or internal reinforcement more quickly than the challenging behavior. So if hitting the teacher gets the student out of work immediately, but asking for a break requires the student to do two more problems, then asking for a break is less efficient than the challenging behavior and likely won't replace it. The replacement behavior also has to be easier than the challenging behavior. So the replacement behavior needs to be easier to do. If it's easier to hit you, then define my communication device, look through it to find the right vocabulary, and then hit the button to tell you I want to talk to you, then hitting's going to prevail. If that's just faster, if it's easier to do, we have to find a replacement behavior that's really easy for that student. So whatever the replacement behavior is, it has to be overlearned, meaning he has to be really fluent at it. It has to be within his skill set, and it has to be easy for him to do. So consequently, when we get to teaching the replacement behavior, we have to make sure that we're setting aside time to explicitly teach the skill. This isn't a skill that the student can easily do without lots and lots of practice. And if you remember when we talked about preventing behavior problems, I talked about the fact that one of the advantages of a proactive approach to behavior is that we can teach when the behavior isn't happening. This is specifically what it helps us do. When he's calm, is the time to do that teaching, not when he's about to have a meltdown, not when he's actually hitting. Those are nice incidental opportunities, but we need lots and lots of practice. So we need to set up situations when things are calm so that we make that replacement behavior. We get it to the point where it's easier. And again, we might choose an easier behavior to teach so that it's easy and we will over teach it. So it comes easily to him. And third, the third part of efficiency is that the behavior that we teach needs to be more reliable. 
the replacement behavior has to get reinforcement more frequently and more consistently than the challenging behavior. And again, we can accomplish this in two ways. We need to make sure that the replacement behavior form that we choose is something that people easily understand and will get the needed response in most situations. So if I'm teaching sign language to ask for attention and the student's sign is idiosyncratic and other people don't understand it, then it's not going to be really reliable because it won't be understood and it won't be reinforced across environments. And consequently, it will fail at changing behavior. Now, I can also make sure that when he raises his hand, I attend to him quickly and every time if I'm teaching him that as a replacement behavior, and I can change its reliability in that way. But so we can do it from two places, but we do want to think when we choose a replacement behavior, what's going to work in the long term. So let's talk about for a minute about examples of what replacement behaviors might look like for some of the specific functions of behavior. So let's start with attention. We'll start with a behavior that gains attention from adults. Let's say that our hypothesis statement tells us that when this student starts throwing materials, when an adult is attending to another student and the student stops when the adult attends to him. Our replacement behavior would need to be something that gets the adult to attend to him quickly and is easy to do. So it might be raising his hand or it might be something even more efficient because a lot of times if I raise my hand, somebody doesn't notice. So there's a delay, but maybe we teach him to call her name so that she's likely to hear it. And once he's mastered that and the behavior has reduced, then we can start teaching him how to wait. Now, one of the key elements of this process is that sometimes you have to teach that waiting very explicitly, but sometimes once the student knows that they can get that need met and that they have control over it, we don't see that as much. So we actually see them not needing as much attention as it seems like they do with their behavior, with their challenging behavior. What about a student whose behavior serves to escape from whole group activities? So whenever he sits down in a whole group activity, he falls out of his chair and he eventually runs away. So the replacement behavior would need to serve the same function. So remember that the replacement behavior has to teach him how to get out of the whole group, which is the function, and how to do it appropriately. So in this case, we might teach him to ask for a break. Or we could have him say, excuse me, and remove himself. We could have him say, I don't want to do this. But my experience with that has been that most teachers, when they hear that, say, well, it's time to do it anyway. So I tend to use the break response because of that. And I know that this often seems counterintuitive in a classroom because our purpose is to keep the students engaged in instruction. But It's important to remember that sometimes it's beneficial to step back and get a handle on the behavior and then to start slowly increasing or embedding the demands that he stay there longer. This way you're teaching him to get his need met in a more appropriate way. You're teaching a skill. It just may not be the skills that you're focusing on in whole group instruction. And really, he's already missing out on most of whole group anyway because he keeps running away. So we're not really losing that much of the instruction. Finally, 
if our function is to get a tangible item or activity, we could teach the student how to ask for the item. And so every time he asks, he gets it. Now, if he's already able to ask for the item, but we're still seeing this because he can't wait, then we might need to teach him to wait. And while waiting isn't necessarily a replacement behavior, it's not like he's engaging in the behavior because I'd like to wait five minutes before I get this, please. It is incompatible with the function. We might start by reinforcing him with the item each time he asks for it and then gradually fade the waiting in. And that gradual piece is really important because we might start saying, okay, wait five seconds. And then if he can do that successfully without behavior, we'll slowly increase that time. So when might you not have a replacement skill in a behavior support plan? There aren't going to be too many times that this is going to be the case. There will be times, though, when we can't figure out what a good replacement behavior would be. One of the primary times for this is when we have an automatic reinforcer that we can't easily identify what the actual reinforcer is. So for instance, if you work with a student who pulls out her hair and the FBA indicates that it functions to gain some kind of automatic reinforcement, and remember, in order to do that, it means that he has to be in the same place, in a place with nothing, nobody to respond to him, nothing to do, and she's still pulling out her hair, then our replacement behavior would need to elicit that same reinforcement. So if that reinforcement seems to be related to anxiety, then we might need to teach some relaxation strategies to reduce the anxiety. However, if it isn't that type of behavior, and it appears to be reinforced by the sensation of pulling out her hair, then obviously I'm not going to teach her how to pull out her hair in a more appropriate way. There's no appropriate way to do that. Then we're going to have to figure out, figuring out that replacement is going to be much more difficult. And in that case, we might have to increase the other behaviors that we're going to teach that are incompatible to keep her hands busy and engaged because they might compete with the hair pulling. It doesn't replace it. It substitutes for it. And it requires making sure that the environment is always set up to keep her hands engaged and then teaching her a way to get that need met, to keep her hands engaged with other incompatible kinds of things that she could do on her own. So teaching her to play with a fidget toy or something so that we don't always have to have something in front of her to engage with. And those incompatible behaviors are what we're going to talk about in our next episode. Uh, We'll be talking specifically about what those might look like. So I hope this gives you some ideas of things to think about in including replacement behaviors and why they're important in your behavior support plan. I'd love to hear what you think about this. If you want to hop over to the free Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com, answer the three questions and come on in and let us know what you thought about this episode. I'd also love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes and definitely subscribe if you want future episodes. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Don't forget that you can always go find all the show notes and examples at www.autismclassroomresources.com slash the podcast, all one word. And don't forget to check out the Special Educator Academy's free trial at specialeducatoracademy.com. Thanks again, and I hope to see you again next week.